Good Lord, chilly as squirrely as mess this morning, son. He is, ain't he? Should have rained him harder today. He already couldn't keep up with me. <laughs> you ever seen two squirrels chase each other? Well, yeah. They get slapped after it. That's how it ought to have been. That's how it was there for a while. I don't think I'm any more or any less squirrely than I usually am. I think you're a little amped up. No, I'm not amped up. I've got a 20-ounce coffee right here. You're getting wild. Well, that what would that be, 40 for you today when you finish that? I don't. I made my own coffee this morning at the house. So. Oh, you you still do that? Listen, Only when Jilly, I'm in a pinch. He makes his own coffee. Look, <laughs> I ain't never seen it. <laughs> look, we've got a rooster at the house named Nugget. It's a bantam rooster, and he's he's making the transition from a stag to a cock, and he's got eight set. No, he's got eight hens, and he's just coming in to his cockiness. So he get, he wakes up at on the dot six o'clock every morning and machine gun crows. I mean, every breath he crows right outside our bedroom. So he's woke me up the last two mornings. I've got to see the sunrise. I just go ahead and get up. I make me a coffee. I take my Bible, and I go up to the top of the mountain, and I read my Bible for a little while and see the sunrise. That's what, I, that's what I've been doing. Welcome to the 3 of 7 podcast, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. We got a full, uh, we got the crew in here today. Me, Chad Wright, former Navy SEAL ultra runner. Blake Randall Wright, president of 307 Project, and Chili, the director of Prophecy here at 307 Project. I hope you guys enjoy this show. We're going to cover a lot of content. Uh, we're going to talk about, obviously, I think it would be remiss for us to not comment on the 21 runners that tragically died in China this past week. We're going to talk about that and... Um, and how you can possibly prevent something like that happening in your own whatever life, running career, whatever. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about being prepared and uh, what we might can do to not see that happen again. Uh, and then we're going to take a few listener questions, of course, and yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. First of all, I want to let you know if you're tuning in for the first time, this is 307 Project. We have an event called The Proving Grounds. Uh, we have an experience called The Basic Course. And um, we also have a, a really awesome group of people over on Patreon where we have exclusive content and interaction over there. So, that's kind of what we have from a product base as a company. Uh, if you're interested in getting some training, we're going to talk a lot about training in this episode and being prepared and why it's important to train. Train like you fight, right? So bad things don't happen to you. All right? If you want some training, go to our website, 3of7project.com. It's linked in the show notes of this episode. That's what we do. This is the 3 of 7 podcast. Um Oh, I just wanted to let you guys know these these reviews that you guys are leaving for us on the Apple Podcast app 
are just freaking unbelievable, man. I, I, I just want to let every one of you guys that take the time to go over here and leave us a review, uh, I want to let you know how much it means to me. I read through every single one of these, and um, well, let's see. I'll just uh, I'll just pick one right here. Uh, this is from Game Changer, Emily Keaton. Don't know about you, but I'm weary of podcast offering success hacks and frameworks for performance. Yet, what I yet what have these experts ever accomplished? themselves. All right, you guys understand that? Podcasts that are out there offering success hacks, frameworks of performance, but what have they accomplished? The people that are offering that, right? That's a good question, Emily. Thank you for posing that question. I have that same question quite often. None have half the insight and impact of former Navy SEAL Chad Wright. Thank you for that. That's very kind of you to say that. And his compadres, Chili and Blake. At uh, at turns, deeply spiritual and hilarious. Three of seven delivers a timeless message. Chad challenges us to find faith in God, to align life with biblical purpose, but don't forget to check your ego at the door. It is the authentic podcast that 2021 needs. Nuff said. Man, that means so much to me. Um, some of you guys listen to the podcast on a different app like Spotify or something like that. And I've seen you actually take the time to come over to the iTunes app and leave us a rating and review, even though you don't even listen to the podcast there. That's freaking awesome, man. I don't know. I just want to tell you guys thank you for doing that. It means a tremendous amount to me, and it helps grow the show. It really does. Um, another thing, we're videoing this in 4K. Go check it out on YouTube, 307 Project the link to our YouTube channel. Also, there's a lot of exclusive content on the YouTube channel. We're doing a video on headlamps today, right? Yep. So we're doing an exclusive video on headlamps, how to pick the right one for running, hiking, whatever. A headlamp is a very important piece of gear. Very important. Yeah. All right? If you don't have a dang headlamp and it gets dark on you, you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> All right? So that'll be on the YouTube channel. Again, the link to that is in the show notes of this episode. Y'all right with all that? You guys, Sounds man. Good, man. Sounds good. You guys. Well, look, man. I've been in Chattanooga all weekend. Chili's from Chattanooga. You didn't even call him while you was up there, did you? <laughs> I'm from Harrison, so Chattanooga's this downtown. You were hanging out in downtown. Yeah, we stayed in downtown. Uh, we got to explore some trails and stuff on there. and You know, here's the thing, man. I'm going down here to Chattanooga to spend the weekend. A little vacation with Brooke is really what it was. And I'm I'm pretty weary of staying in, in a city anyways. I was I was I never have liked staying in a city because cities aren't beautiful to me for some reason. But uh look, man, we're staying in town and I'm I'm already don't like being in a city. But you especially don't like being in a city over this past year, right? Because everything's freaking shut down and people just yell at you. If you don't have your mask on, you just get yelled at. So I'm like, man, I wonder what the I was I was like, I wonder what the in like feel is gonna be down here. And um to my surprise, 
Thank goodness. This place was just wide open, man. Dang. They, they've, uh, look, coronavirus doesn't even exist anymore. This place was wide open. Every restaurant was open. Then no, nobody but just a few Karens had their masks on. Um, everything was just back to normal. I was like, man, this is pretty cool. Everybody acted normal. I was really surprised about that, man. Dang. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm happy to see. I'm ha- I'm happy to see this happening. But what I want to remind you, I want to remind you of something that matters. I want I want to remind you of this. As your communities start to open back up and stuff gets back to normal, I want you to remember the businesses and the brands that were there to serve you over the last year. I want you to remember the businesses and the brands. I'm not talking about freaking Walmart. (laughs) I'm not talking about freaking Lowe's. I'm talking about the small, I'm talking about your local coffee shop. I'm talking about your church. I'm talking about your local restaurant. I want you to remember those businesses and brands that chose to be innovated or to be innovative that chose not to fold up and freaking take a handout in the you know amongst the pressure that was being put on them that freaking means something and let me tell you as crap opens back up i know how y'all are i know how most people is you start you're just going to go back to doing what's convenient and cheap and cheap well you're dead wrong all right you're dead wrong. And let me tell you right now, I'm going to go ahead and call out some businesses that didn't fold up in my local community. Let me go ahead and call out the Canoe House in Rome. Let me go ahead and call out Doug's Deli in downtown Rome. Let me go ahead and call out Swift and Finch Coffee Shop. These are the businesses that I'm talking about. Sm- CrossFit Rome. Uh, CrossFit Rome. I don't know. I wasn't part of the gym then. I don't know. I think they shut down for a certain period of time. Yeah, but remember Jeff said in here talking about he was bringing the rowing machines to people's yeah, house. And- yeah. Well, I'm talking about I, I can't speak for them. I wasn't part of their gym at that time. These are the businesses that I was. Yeah. I remember going to downtown Rome uh, about whatever it's been about a year ago. And I remember walking up and walking down Broad Street. And I remember who was open. Crawdaddies. Yeah. Local restaurant, right? I remember who was open. Let me go ahead and call out a freaking race. Look, look why do y'all think I'm going back out to run the Mid-State Mile this year? What? Well, let me tell you something. Because it means something to me that when all these other dang races freaking folded up, right? They, they Dude, cowards folded up. And kept everybody's freaking money. <laughs> they folded up and kept yeah. everybody's money. Yep. You can get yeah. me fired up about okay. that. Okay. There was this there were these people named John and Becca. And they decided to have a race called the Mid-State Mile, right in the middle of this whole freaking pandemic. And you think they didn't have pressure? Their local government told them no. You know what they did? They got innovative. They held that race under the guise of a wedding. 
they had a bride and a groom there that weekend, right? Because that was still within the parameters of what they're... I'm not talking about being blatantly freaking disregarding all law and order. They got innovative. They said, well, daggone, we can still have a wedding with up to like, what, 35 people or something. So let's have a bride and a groom here. We're going to have a wedding ceremony with a bunch of running involved. So don't tell me this freaking bull crap that you were forced. You Look, you were... Dude, I remember going down here to first form in St. Louis, Missouri, the crap hole, biggest crap hole I ever been to in in freaking 10 years, St. Louis was. I mean, it was a crap hole. First form is there wide freaking open. Every single employee there doing their freaking thing, providing a product to serve the people of America. Every one of them were there. They were turning and burning, son. You think they didn't have pressure to shut down? No, they had pressure. Guess what? They got innovative. I'm sorry. It means something to me. Why you think I'm going to the mid-state mile? Because it means something. I'll probably go out to that race every year from now on, even if I'm not running. I'll probably go out there because I remember what they did. Yeah. And I'm a man of principle. So, look, what they that's did, all I what, got to say about that. You remember what they did when nobody else would do it? I mean, th- there wasn't other stuff going on when they held that race. No. Very few. And, and And shout them out, too, you know. But there was very few. I mean, that we don't appreciate people who basically feel a certain way, feel like something is being done wrong. And they don't do anything about it. And Becca and John didn't sit down and just let something happen. I mean, man, I appreciate that more than anything. It gave people a chance to race. You know how special that day ended up being? Everybody, there was thousands of people watching it, wishing they were there. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. I mean, yeah. It's- that race inspired hundreds of thousands of people when they were experiencing some of the deep, deepest, darkest moments of depression and anxiety in their entire life. And because John and Becca chose to hold the race That's and it. we chose to show up, we were able to inspire hundreds of thousands of people. That's it. If Becca and John had been too cowardly to, to hold that when they felt like they that needed to happen and they should hold that, then none of that would have happened. They wouldn't have got to see the... It, well, I saw it in person. You wouldn't have got to see it on video. Greg stumbling in and Chad running for... He could have went for 100 hours, so... You wouldn't have got to see that special day. I, I, all I'm saying is when you when you let stuff like that go and just follow the crowd, you miss out on some of the best stuff that this life has to offer. Your choice. The interesting thing, too, about businesses particularly is that people could argue the fact that, well, they stayed in business because they had to keep making money. They had to do what they had to do to make money but it's different. It, it was different in this time because all the unemployment, everyone was shorthanded. The easy thing to do would have been say, well, it, it's just not working because I guarantee you most of those businesses, the owners didn't draw a paycheck during that time and may still not be drawing a paycheck and instead paid that in to keep their business open. It would have been much easier probably for them and their family to just shut down and say, well, I'm going to go over here to the construction construction was still booming i mean we were wide open 
There might have been a week where things were unsure, but it was still wide open. They could have went and got a job <laughs> and done that and made money and had a lot easier time. So don't argue the fact that, well, that's what they had to do to stay in business and to keep things going. They did it because they love what they do. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, Look, man, I just wanted to remind y'all of that real quick. <clears throat> All right? Thank you. That so that that's what I got from my that's what I got from my trip to Chattanooga. Um all right. Look, what's on y'all's mind? I gotta look up a quote right here real quick. I forgot to look this up. I wanna share something with y'all. Chili, oh. how how about it? Go for it, Chili. What's going on? I mean well, talk, talk. you looking up a quote? Yeah, why don't you freaking tell people about our run this morning? <laughs> what do you want me to talk about? You about tell them about how you couldn't keep up with me on that flat stretch? Yeah, man, we got we got to going, and he just he just let loose. He just turned the turned the burners on. He don't normally do that. You he couldn't get, catch him? No, man, I couldn't. I couldn't hang. Dang. He's he's fit. He's fit. Anybody questioning Chad's fitness? He's fit, man. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now. I don't think anybody in the world can beat me right now. He's fit to be tied. <laughs> Look, it, it's bit you at what? At the mid-state mile. Well, we're gonna find out. Yeah, I agree. Well, crap. I, I wanted to share a quote with you guys from um, this John Adams book that I'm reading here. But my, my freaking partners here haven't prepared anything to talk about. I have. Well, what do you got on your mind? Let me tell you. Me and Mr. Paul Wilder went on a run the other day. He'd been he'd been calling me wanting to go run for probably weeks and weeks. And I told Kat, I said, I'm going to go run with him today. I got time. And she said, well, that's, that's good because there ain't many folks that keep showing up in your life even when you tell them no. There's, there's, and she said that. She said, Paul's probably the only one, I mean, other than family, you know, that that just keeps showing up. And so anyways, we went and run. Paul, I've said it a hundred times, he spent a lot of time invested in us, but and in me particularly. But we was out running, and, you know, he just had some things he wanted to share with me, and he shared them. And, and I just kind of thought, you know, who, who in your life is investing in you and, and putting a lot in there? That's good for them, but if you don't apply what they're telling you, then it's a total waste of their time, and it's disrespectful. And you know, you've got the you've got people. Most people have someone that's doing that for them. And if you're not taking the like, it's like being a, a glutton for information. Like just going and hanging out with someone, just going and taking a course, just going and do something, but you're not actually applying. That's when the work starts. Like the work is not coming to the basic course. The work's not coming to the proven ground. Mm -hmm. The work's not going for a 10-mile run with Paul. The work is when you get the information and then it's time to go execute it. That's when it really happens. And so I just wanted to ask, what what in your life are you getting fed that you're not implementing, that that you're not executing on? What what and what raw information do you have that, that you're not, you know, putting into your life and um that's one thing. Well, I, I like that. That and that was perfect. That was a valuable thing right there, and it gave me enough time 
to look up this quote that I wanted to share. I mean, I'm so no, glad no, that I can provide quality time filler. No, come on. <laughs> do, you, do y'all see what just happened? He was he's not prepared, okay? He didn't have the quote bookmarked. He could already had it ready. So then when he starts trying to dig through his book and find it, he goes, y'all don't ever say anything. Yeah. And, and then you say something. Man, I, I appreciate you filling that block of time for me. All right, y'all ready for the real meat right here? Y'all get your knives out because here comes the steak. It, now that y'all done eating your appetizer, here's the steak. Blake, thanks for filling that. Uh, the, but go ahead. Go ahead and sit back down. The steak has been delivered. So y'all get ready for the red meat. This about medium, medium rare, medium. Gonna Uh, be good. Probably ribeye, bone in ribeye. You're you're a setup man. That's it. Set him up. No man, what what you just said is uh, good. I appreciate. Now let me read this. (laughs) Gosh, somebody, nobody's gonna listen to this podcast. All right, look, now, all right, get ready for this. <laughs> no, that's what we need to do next time. When After he presents this, don't comment on it or nothing. It's like, I appreciate that, man. Uh, now, this is really what I want to talk about. Look, th- this is not as profound as what Blake just said. No, whatever. Uh, whatever he said, because I wasn't listening to him. I was looking for this quote right here, so I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast. Listen, you said that that's good stuff, and you didn't listen to it. <laughs> no, I, I heard I heard one word, execute. And I thought, whatever he's saying was, is good. Yeah, <laughs> talking about when you get the urge and you got to go get on the ball, it's time to execute. Is that good? <laughs> See, if you're talking about executing the plan, all right, hey, I'm good with that. That's all I need to hear. All right, what do you got? Uh, look, man. This might be salad or it might be steak. Since, I'll tell since, you in a minute. Since I've been reading this book on John Adams, if if y'all are if y'all are watching on YouTube, here's the book right here. Um, you know, this is a very profound book here. And... You know, Chili said something the other day. As it, on the last podcast we recorded, I've been kind of reading some quotes out of here for you guys that I think are timely. And Chili said, he said, you realize that, that these men, like John Adams, that stood up this nation, that fought tyranny, um, that basically put it all on the line for liberty, your liberty and your freedom. All right. You realize everything that they're talking about in here, they wrote all this stuff for you. Right? And here's the thing right here. I remember Chili saying that. And here's the thing. This is a quote from John Adams himself. And he uh, he's talking about the issues that they're dealing with, uh, the issue of liberty being objects of the most stupendous magnitude, measures in which the lives and liberties of millions, born and unborn, are most essentially interested, are now before us. We are in the very midst of revolution, the most complete, unexpected, and remarkable of any in the history of the world. This is what John Adams is saying. 
when they chose to stand up for for liberty, for to to stand up this nation, he was they they were all thinking about the lives and and your liberty, the lives and liberty of millions, born and unborn. That's why they did this. That's why they sacrificed everything. So yes, these men were thinking of you, and they put it all on the line. Here's John Adams again, and for the support of this declaration, the Declaration of Independence, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. He's talking about the members of the Continental Congress that drafted and signed the Declaration of Independence here. All right? With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Does that mean something to you? Did you know John Adams was a devout Christian? Right? These are the foundations of our nation. Our whole nation, the the whole idea of freedom and liberty all this stuff was based on on biblical things man and these men understood that they were fallible and he makes it clear that they are relying on divine providence god to help them establish this nation and they put it all on the line their lives their fortunes all these men in continental congress thomas jefferson was a freaking rich he owned 10,000 acres in virginia and like 300 slaves this guy didn't even have to wipe his own butt he didn't have to do anything but he believed so much in liberty that he put it all on the line his life his fortune same with john adams and their sacred honor i just thought that was timely with what chili said the other day yeah i think <clears throat> The, the whatever you want to call them, the founding fathers of this country, they they were fighting and really sacrificing a lot of their life for our liberty today. And what we're doing is spending a lot of our time and a lot of our lives ensuring that 100 years from now, they won't have it. I think we're doing the exact opposite. I can, mean, can you imagine what these cats would, would if they could come a, and see? Do you uh, do y'all understand? You guys listen to this. Whether you're an employee or a business, if you're a business owner, I think you realize it. But if you're an employee, you may not realize it. Do you realize that your government takes thirty five percent of every dollar you make? Thirty five percent up to a certain. Amount, and then they take more than that. And then they take more than that of every dollar you make. I'm going to go ahead and tell These cats right here, when, when Great Britain tried to impose a tax, a stamp tax, right? These cats didn't believe in paying taxes unless everyone in the community agreed on it, right? They went and burned the customs house down. They burnt the thing to the freaking ground, man. All right. <laughs> These freaking cats would be losing it right now. They'd probably just go back to their old dead grave and say, they ain't no hope. We gonna, it's too far gone. We're going back to the grave. I'm going to tell you, man. All right. That's your history. Look, we've got 
wisdom from the press. What did I talk about? We've covered. You talked about people that keep showing up, and you better execute on that, son. Yeah, you could tie those together. All right. Chili. Uh, Chili ain't talked about nothing much. Not nothing you've of substance. A, you've got a history lesson, um, and we've we've talked about principle-based things. We go ahead and end this podcast now. Let me tell you about something else, too. Let me tell you about... We talk a lot about integrity, right? I had I thought about it for a while this this past weekend, and I've came up with a new way to define integrity. It is when who you proclaim to be is integrated with who your actions portray you to be. Because you can't say doing the right thing when nobody's looking because we all and I mean if you're a Christian, we all live by the same standard, but if you if you're not a Christian, then what's right? someone else's right might be different from our right so then you've got the problem of that but it's when what you do lines up with who you say you are mm. you can't say the right thing or doing doing a good thing because right and good is all relative to what you live by it's when you you, you could be a bad person if you're claiming to be a bad person and you're <laughs> and and you're doing bad things then you got you've integrity got integrity yeah so it is when what you claim to be shows who you claim to be. It's when those two things are integrated into one. Go ahead and mark that down in the freaking dictionary. I like that, Blake. I did not know you were a dang philosopher. Well, I, What that, have you been doing? That came to me on the run with, with Paul Wilder. <laughs> Holy smokes, man. That's another reason to be around people like Paul. Stuff like that hits you. Yep. Imagine what would come to you if you came and ran with me in Chile one of these Tuesday mornings. Well, if... You outran Chili. I might look like old snap snapping turtle back there. <laughs> hey, that's that's really good though, Blake. I like that, you know, and it goes right along. I listened to you this time. It goes right along with this Instagram story I did yesterday talking about, hey man, you guys see me you guys don't see me endorsing a lot of other influencers in Instagram land, right? Because I've been fortunate enough to travel around the nation and meet most of these people that, that you guys all listen to. Right, I've got to meet them, spend time with them, most of them in their home. And what you come to realize is that most of them are simply entertainers. They've come up with a formula to tell the people things that they want to hear and also to entertain the people, right? Mm -hmm. That's what Americans love. They love to hear the things that tickle their ears and they love to be entertained, right? And... um that's that's what and hey man that's that's a gift that's a talent to be able to do that yeah but the reason i don't promote a lot of other influencers or endorse them is because very a very very small percentage of them are the real deal well and jesse Isler's the real deal um andy frisilla's the real deal now now what i'm saying is i'm not saying that everything that we see eye to eye on everything I'm saying these men have the type of integrity that Blake's talking about. Who they claim to be aligns with what they actually do mm -hmm. in their home, in their personal lives, right? That's a rare thing. And you think about a, a lot of people that are on that level and you think that the, like there's something special about them, you know, like that, that's what you think. A movie star or somebody that's really popular, you think there's something special about them. It's because you assume that they have integrity. You assume that what they're feeding you they're living by, and a lot of them aren't. 
So if you would just understand there's a very small percentage that are actually living by what they're claiming, then you might come to realize, actually realize that they all really are the same as just everybody else. If someone's selling you something and you think, man, there's, that is crazy. He must have something special to be living that way. He probably ain't living that way. Or he's really putting in the work and he is, but then you'll see it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's easy to distinguish the two. Well, I think, I think one message of warning is whether you really love somebody or really hate them that you've seen on the internet, you're a fan of them or, or you hate them. It can be both extremes. If you haven't met them, if all of that is just based on because you watch their Instagram, you may want to back off on what you think of them, whether it's mm -hmm. super lofty or, or you just hate them. Because if you don't know somebody, you don't know. You may think they're great and you met them and they're the biggest piece of crap on the planet. Or you may think they're this horrible person and you meet them and you're like, well, this is this is a great guy. So I'd be careful putting people on a real high pedestal that you haven't met or on the contrary, hating them and you haven't met them. So. Yeah, because the only, the only thing you know about them is what they want you to know about them. Yeah. Chili taught me that last week. Um, I was, me and Chili went on our weekly run and, you know, there's this particular person that I dislike. And I said, man, I, I'm about to freaking call this cat out. Chili said, well, have you met him? I said, no. He said, well, how do you know you really don't like him that bad? You know, he might be a good guy. He may just talk a bunch of mess, you know? And I thought, well, that's legit. He talked me down off the edge. I mean. Real level-headed brothers I have right here. I have real level-headed brothers. Listen, I can get, like you said, I can get amped up, but I always have to remember if I'm basing it, off of five minute stuff I've seen or hearsay may not be true. That's all I'm saying. And it, it, the same goes if you love somebody. I mean, you know, I'm not saying don't be fans of whoever. I'm saying don't don't invest your life in like them. Put, yeah, them putting them on this pedestal. You know, if but I don't know. That just kind of goes along with what you were saying. I feel like about. Yeah. You know, the integrity, he's, you, you, it's hard to judge people's character or integrity if you haven't met them. Yep. And then it's, and then it can, it's still hard to judge them. Like, yeah. I mean, you got to really be around someone and, and do some things with them to really know. Yeah. You really do. You got to see how, you got to see how they interact when the, you know, with their families. When, yeah, that's exactly right, man. Man, gosh, almighty. Y'all want to talk about this, these, um, People that passed away, this tragedy. Yeah, what do you think about it? I mean, it, first of all, I think we should say, I mean, it's a horrible thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I just, I didn't really pay much mind to it when I first heard it because I don't know what I read, but it, I don't even think it said anybody. It just said there was an accident or something at an ultra marathon, and I, I don't know. I just, but then finally, I, you, you heard more and more about it, you know, and you heard 21 people died, so. I mean, I don't care what the de what the details are. I just that's horrible. Yeah, you know, and I feel bad for their families, and you know, it is. It's, it's it's awful to hear that these men and women passed away out doing something that was just fun. That was yeah. that they loved to do, and they, they and, and you know, it's it is. It's a 
tragedy, man. It's terrible. It's a terrible thing. The reason that I want to talk about it is so that maybe we can we can pimp you with some piece of information to maybe help prevent this happening in the future because this should not happen. It shouldn't happen. Yeah. All right. So that's why I think it's a, a worthy thing to talk about. And yes, I mean, it, it was almost unbelievable when I saw the headline. I was like, seriously? Hey, is this a is this fake? But no, it wasn't fake. I mean, you have twenty one athletes die in a race. Yeah, that that there was. It's a tragedy, tragedy, but at some point there was a lack of training, or there was negligence. You, you just you you you. I, I'm sorry. There, there just was. All right, and that's why we're going to talk about it. So, this episode was brought to you by Exoskin. We're going to talk about gear here in a little bit. Exoskin is a good piece of gear to take with you, whether you're ultra running, backpacking, whatever you decide to do. This gear, this apparel that Exoskin makes, they make apparel. They can outfit you from your feet to the top of your head. They've got the best socks in the world. I've tried them all. I mean, I've tried them all. Exoskin has got the best sock out there. Your feet are important. All the way up from tights to shorts to shirts to beanies to arm sleeves to leg sleeves. You name it. They've underwear. got underwear now. Yeah, they've got a piece of apparel that is going to work. This stuff is made to be worn out on your mission. It's not made to be freaking worn to dinner. All right? This stuff is specifically designed. All right? There's copper fiber woven into the fabric that cuts down on your stink. All right? The fabric is made to channel moisture away from your body that cuts down on chafing. This stuff is legit. Exoskin, we've been wearing this gear for about three plus years now. And it's my go-to for a long, hard ultra marathon or backpacking trip or whatever. Exoskin is my go-to. Exoskin, we appreciate you for sponsoring this episode. Check them out online at exoskin.us. All right, I'll attach a link to their website in the show notes of this episode. All you got to do is go scroll down and click it. It's going to take you right there. All right, and I'm also going to give you a pro code for anything you buy from Exoskin, if you enter that pro code, it'll be in the show notes. You'll get, I'm not sure how much off, maybe 15%, 10, 15% off I your order. Remember. Yeah, but it's a, it's a significant. Yeah. And, and look, you get what you freaking pay for, man. Exoskin is 100% made in America. You know, we talked about principal stuff earlier. That means something to me, that they have made the extra effort to figure out how to make something, especially like apparel in America, right? Because they could have much, it would have been much easier and cheaper for them to just outsource this crap to Vietnam or someplace, third world country. And yeah, you get what you pay for. This stuff lasts a long time. Go check them out. Thanks, Exoskin. Let's take a little break. All right, guys, we're back, <clears throat> back from the break. Yeah, we're going to dig into this um, 
this tragedy that happened in China. Now, again, you guys can go, you can go and read the articles. There's multiple articles published on this, but essentially, from what I've gathered, there were they they were having a ultra a hundred k. I think it was. Yeah. Wasn't it Hong Kong hundred k? Uh, no, I don't think no? it was. No, okay. I don't think it was. It was just a, a 100K over in China. Now, this was a mountain ultra trail race. So it was a trail race through the mountains, 100 kilometers. And um, from what I can gather, at some point, the, I think the weather looked a little rough in the beginning. They went ahead and went out anyways. And at some point on the course, a bad storm hit. It was really windy. It was rainy. Obviously, hail. hail. Obviously, the people were exposed. Their uh, uh, the temperatures dropped. I think to right around freezing. All right, so they got hammered with a bad storm, and they're out on the race course, and. Part of their mandatory gear, I think, from what I read, was a, a foil blanket or an emergency bivy, right? And basically, I think some of them tried to utilize that emergency foil blanket or whatever, but it, it got ripped apart by the winds. And from what I can gather, 21 of them died Sounds like more or less from hypothermia, exposure and hypothermia. When it's cold, below freezing, and the wind is blowing, and you, it, I mean, this had to have been a, a terrible storm, and you can't move. And it's raining. Yeah, and you're wet, and you can't move. It don't take long for hypothermia to set in. If you can keep moving, you're, you're usually pretty good. If you can keep generating that body heat. But this was obviously a terrible and sustained storm when they're up here in this environment. And 21 of them, yeah, passed away. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about this. A lot of lessons learned. Obviously, I was not there. None of us were actually there. Um, God only knows what happened on that mountain that day. So everything that we're going to say here is based off of what we've gathered from the the articles that have been written, at least up to this point. This is going to be my opinion as a person who has operated in extreme environments, remote clandestine wilderness environments, everything from desert heat to uh, high mountains to extreme cold environments in Alaska. All right? So that's where we're at on this. The purpose of this conversation is to try to prevent something like this from ever happening again. I think the first thing that we can all agree on when it comes to this this happening never thought this would happen i never would have guessed that something like this would happen at a trail race 
There's a few things I think that we can all agree on. I, I think that we can agree that if you're going to be a trail runner, all right, it's going to require more than just being a good runner. You need to have some training and experience in a wilderness environment. Like, you need to get some legit training. We've been getting a lot of questions of people wanting us to do a YouTube video on safety, right? Safety when you're out on the trail. So, yes, it is dangerous. Like, if you're going to run a road marathon through the city, you can just be a good runner. You, you can, you're, you're just an athlete, right? But if you, if you decide to embark on these ultra trail marathons or even just a trail running training mission on your own, you need to have some training and some understanding of the wilderness in, environments that you're going into. All right? So we're going to talk through that a little bit. Another thing that I think we can all agree on is that I don't know who I, again this is this is a this is not specifically talking about this event I don't know who who directed this race I don't know the race director I don't know their background I'm just talking about events in general You know anybody can be a race director Some freaking guy that has done had never even been in the woods before can can look at a map and come up with some race and post it on ultra sign up having never been on the course having no clue about the the terrain human capabilities what it takes all right anybody can be a race director all right the race just because there's a race don't think that it's just safe to go and go out and, and do it don't don't think that oh well obviously someone has 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 put this event together the race director obviously knows what they're doing right because they wouldn't be putting this event on they they wouldn't they wouldn't ask me to do anything unsafe they wouldn't send me out into an environment that was dangerous no that's totally wrong or there's no pre-qualification to becoming a race director and you know we heard about this with uh from from our brother Scott Worthington out in New Zealand there's a race out there called God Zone. It's an adventure race. And I'll never forget Scott telling me a few years ago they did this race and uh, it was through a, a, a really difficult environment. I've been there. It's called Fjordland. And the race director basically designed the course for this adventure race based off of looking at topo maps. He never traversed the course on the ground. He just designed it based off, and you can do that, right? It's not a problem, except that what's on the ground sometimes is going to look way worse than what's represented on that topo map. So this race director puts this race together. God's own is a huge deal, right? They go out, obviously people sign up for it. I think it fills up every year. It's a very prestigious event. It costs a lot of money, a couple thousand dollars mm -hmm. to do this race per person. They go out assuming that 
the, the organizers of the race have put in the work to provide a, a legitimate event. And so they launch off on their adventure race. And by the time they come out the other end, didn't like two or two dudes lose their freaking legs? Yeah, I think so. Their legs rotted off. One dude lost an eyeball. Um, d- just all kinds of these insane injuries. Things that shouldn't happen when you go to have fun to compete in a race. That's right. Now, yes, the race director at it, at that point should be labeled as a freaking turd. You know what? But guess what? You are also responsible for yourself. Mm-hmm. All right? So when you show up at an event, and maybe you're somewhere along the course, and you you see something, whether it's a terrain feature, whether it's a bridge that you have to cross, whether it's a, a, a river that you have to cross, whatever it may be, you see something, and you say, man, I don't know if that's within the realm of my skills and capability to traverse that terrain feature. Man, that bridge looks a little bit old and rotted, right? What are most people going to say? They're going to say, well, it's obviously good to go. He wouldn't have put the course right through here if if they didn't check. No, man, you are responsible for yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's on you when you encounter that. If you go sign up for a race and it's a a race director and and, and you come up to something that you say, "Eh, this isn't really worth it. It's on you to turn your freaking butt around and and just get out of there. That's not quitting. All right? No. You, that's not quitting. Mm-mm. That's having something, that's having good ORM, operational risk management. That's what that is. I know y'all dang civilians don't understand what ORM is, operational risk management. We did this before Every single mission in the SEAL teams, training mission or real world, we did an ORM. That's where we, and, and constantly throughout the mission, we're constantly taking in, viewing, and assessing whatever the risk is that we encounter. And then we're making a decision, is the bang worth the buck? Yeah. If we're going to assume this risk, is the reward that we get from assuming this risk, even if something terrible happens, is it worth it, right? That's for training and on an actual mission. And consider the chances of that happening. Like, you know, I mean, there's a, you're putting some sort of risk out when you go do anything. So if you, if you come across that bridge and you say, well, I'd probably get across that. It, it's, it's not that bad, you think. A couple percent chance I might fall off of it. That, that weighs into that risk management, too. But if you say there's a 40% chance I'm, I might slip and fall off that, I'm probably going back home. Yeah. You know? Exactly. This is, we, this is the kind of stuff we teach and talk about out on the basic course and at the proving grounds mm-hmm. is ORM, how to implement it, how to assess risk, uh, and how to make a decision to either move forward or hunker down or turn around. All right? Well, I think everybody does operational risk management, at least at sometimes, without even maybe knowing what they're doing. I, mean, I, I would disagree with that. I would say some uh, people just think, just place their lives 
in in other people's hands well, and assume that they give a crap about them. What I'm essentially what I'm saying is they they made a decision. You don't have to call it that, but they made a decision that okay, it was safe because of that. So it, basically, what I what I think is important is that you know how to do it. I mean, maybe. I mean, we can disagree on if people. I mean, people make decisions, and they're they're deciding that okay, this is safe, and they're doing and they're making that decision because, you know, some race director told them it was or put the race on. What you're trying to say is you need to learn how to actually do it for yourself and decide if this is. I mean, that that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. That you know, I don't. And you're doing it constantly. Yeah, yeah, you have to constantly. And, you know, and that's kind of a skill to be able to know when something is a risk and when it's not. Well, it takes experience in what yeah. you're doing. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm agreeing with you. can't just base your decisions because of what somebody else is. No, oh, I see what you're saying. Everyone is making a decision. Even, right. if, even if you make a bad decision and you just go across it, you still you chose just, to go across it. Yeah. You're just terrible. At, you're not... <laughs> You didn't take the time, yeah, to actually manage or assess the risk. You just blew through it. So, yeah, to Chad's point, you're not really doing it, but by not doing it, you're just disregarding <laughs> yeah. everything. Well, the, and the interesting thing to me about that specific example at that God's Own race out in New Zealand is they can't file, I think, civil lawsuits against right. people or businesses out there. So nobody could sue this race director for putting on this race that uh was obviously freaking ridiculous and but they shouldn't be able to sue the dude no it's uh, on you man yeah like you should be able to go maybe go and ask for a refund but like it's on you're the one that decided to proceed yeah so have some freaking responsibility for yourself mm -hmm. all right because that's the first thing people are going to want to do when some crap like this happens is they want to turn around and blame the organizer. And yeah, you should. The, the organizer has some... some. They're a freaking turd. But if you proceed and you get hurt, that is on you, man. Take blame, ownership. Blame your freaking self. All yeah. right? What if I presented the challenge and said, let's see how many people can jump off of the Empire State Building and live when they hit the ground. That's a terrible, a terrible thing to challenge somebody with. But if you go do it, <laughs> then you jumped off the you jumped off the building. Yeah, just because I, mean, I challenged you to do it don't mean nothing. That's exactly right, man. It's uh, like what your mama tells you when you're growing up. If, when you start, you know, you start you get in trouble for something, and you say, "Well, my friend told me to," and she said, "Well, if he told you to jump off a bridge, <laughs> would you do it?" That's the same thing. You know, you have to take ownership for your own decisions. And let me tell you, this is another reason why I'm very selective about the races that I will go and run, I actually make my own assessment of the race director or the race organizer. That's like the revenant that goes on out there in New Zealand that we go out, if the borders ever open up, we go out there every year. And Scott Worthington puts the revenant on. Well, when he invited me out there, like I talked to him on multiple occasions I did my own research on him. I also asked him to provide me with some information that basically would give him credibility. 
Right, because it is a dangerous event. It it really, it truly is. It's probably the most dangerous uh, training or, or, or uh, racing event that I've ever participated in. But I know that Scott Worthington is a squared away freaking dude, and therefore I have confidence in his ability to put together a event that is worth my while to take a 20-hour flight to participate in. So why don't you look at the race directors that are putting these events on that you guys are going to participate in, all right? Or even the events that we put on, the basic course, the proving grounds. We're running an Alpine mission in August, right? Look at the people who are putting the freaking event on, man. Yeah. And have some self-responsibility. If I show up, to the cruel jewel in North Georgia. And there it's there's a terrible storm forecasted that's about to freaking hit. Do do you think that I'm just gonna launch off out into the middle of the wilderness just because I'm at a race? Do you think that that I'm gonna think, oh well, surely if this storm was gonna be bad enough, the race director would just call the postpone the race. No, man. It's on me Yeah, to make that decision. All right. So, do a little research on who's putting the race on and take some ownership of your decisions that you make out on the course and practice some good operational risk management. If you want to learn how to do that, come out with us. We're going to walk you through that whole process. This is not an advertisement for the things that we do. This is just simply what we do. All right? Yeah. This is what we do. We talked about experience in a wilderness environment. Now, I don't know I, I don't know of any companies personally that provide like legitimate training in a wilderness environment the way we do it maybe there are others out there but this is what we do on the basic course is we're giving you the opportunity to go out in this wilderness environment with us as professionals and we're teaching you about this environment and how to be safe and function and perform in that environment all right, so that you, you've you've got to do that. You you if you're gonna go out here and do these trail races, I don't care how good of a runner you are, you need to get some training in that environment. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about we talked about ORM, we talked about getting some experience. You don't have to come with me. I mean, you could go to one of these other go go to freaking um, what's that other one called? That, that place that leads those backpacking trips. Outward Bound. Outward, go to Outward Bound. You can sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya. Talk about your feelings. All right. Or you can come out with me and freaking learn something. Be vulnerable. Yeah. So, there you go. Let's talk about freaking situational awareness. S-A. Situational awareness. When I'm in a wilderness environment, I am constantly looking around me and guess what i'm looking for i'm looking at things that could serve me in the event of an emergency 
I'm noticing a water source. I'm noticing a rock overhang or a flat spot where I could hunker down. I'm noticing the wind direction. So if a storm blows up, I know which side of the ridge I need to drop off on. I'm taking note of my cardinal direction of where I'm located on the trail or off the trail. I'm taking all these, all this information in from the environment around me, even though it may be a bright sunny day. Right? And I'm still looking. Oh, man, there's a nice spot where I could really hunker down if something bad happened. Because I may be back here at some point. Mm-hmm. Right? Or something. The the weather in the mountains, quite obviously, is extremely uh, unstable at times. Yeah. All right? So when you're out in this wilderness environment, your situational awareness is of the utmost importance. And don't just think, like, when when the storm is bearing down on you or you, you've fallen and broken your leg and you're about to thirst to death, that's not the time to start looking for a place to yeah. shelter or a place to find water. That's not the time. You should always know where is the nearest spot to you where you could hunker down or get a resource that's going to help you survive in the event of an accident or catastrophe. Yeah. It should always, they, those places should be filed in your mind as you move along the course. Y'all understand this? Yeah. And when it's, when it's, it, when it is a good sunny day, like you said, you could break your leg, you could do whatever, but it's also good practice. Even if you're doing it, doing it just for the reason of practicing, it's worth doing. Because then when it does matter, you're already in the habit of doing it. And you, I mean, I do the same thing. It, it's just, it's unconsciously you do it. When you when you look at water trickling, you think, well, yeah, th- there's a good spot to get water if we ever needed to. So it becomes habit once you do it enough. That's right. And that's called SA, situational awareness. And even more so, or not more so, but also in the front country. Do that stuff around town. I mean, it, you're yeah. looking for different things, but be aware of what's going on around you. When you go in, I mean, maybe this is extreme, but when you go into a building, yeah. look and see, is there, where are you sitting? Where's, if you can't get out the front door, if the building blazes in fire, if someone comes in, guns blazing, is there another exit that you can get out of? So there's, you you got to have that always not just in the back country yeah when you go into a restaurant and you know you typically get seated where the 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 hostess takes you right or it depends on what kind of restaurant you're going in but you know that where you may be maybe sitting is not you just pay attention to stuff like that like you know sometimes you're you're facing a wall you know stuff be going on behind you and you don't even know what's coming in the door i mean pay attention to stuff like that don't mean walk around paranoid no. But it means like, if something were to go wrong, let me go ahead and place myself in the best possible situation I can. You know. Let me let me tell you how far I go with this. Oh, I know you go far. This is situational awareness. I've literally, from my house, I have identified every piece of cover that I could a, a defensive position, right? I've identified every piece of cover around my house, and I've taken a rangefinder 
and I have ranged the distance from that piece of cover to the end of my driveway where people would generally make entry and do me harm. I've looked at every single rooftop on the downtown area of my town. I'm constantly assessing a every defensive position that's available in whatever environment that I am. Every advantageous position, resource, you name it. It's make a game out of it. Yeah. You don't have it's it's not about being some I am not a prepper, but I believe in being prepared. Yeah. All right. And like Noah said, you don't have to be paranoid about it. Don't now don't turn this into a thing where you can't even enjoy dinner with your wife because you're looking at everything <laughs> going on. Once once you figure out how to be aware, you can literally do this in seconds when you walk into a restaurant and then you just enjoy your meal. And you make note of the things you need to make note of. You don't have to sit there the whole time being on edge waiting for somebody to come in or the building to catch on fire or whatever to happen, you know. Because you can take it too far to where you can't even enjoy time out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can be a dweeb about this stuff. Or a turd. Yeah, you can be a straight-up freaking dweeb about all this stuff we're talking about. All right? But just be... Freaking prepared, man. All right? Be situationally aware in all environments. That means being aware of the weather, of the resources, and everything that's going on around you. So, assess the risk. Be situationally aware. Let's talk real quick about gear. Because this is something, uh, on this particular event here that was uh i guess not surprising to me but it you know part of their mandatory gear again we said was a foil blanket what that is is it's a it's a thin plat like i don't know plastic i don't know what it's made out of it's a thin blanket that you can put over yourself that will basically it's foil looks like tinfoil it'll reflect your body heat back to you. Um, they're not insulated at all, right? Um, but essentially, from what I read, these cats all had one of these emergency blankets, and basically the rent, the wind just ripped them to shreds. All right. Now, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what most people do when they see a piece of emergency gear like that on the gear list for their race. You know what they do? They get on freaking Amazon. They find the cheapest dang emergency bivy that they can possibly find. They order it. They get it and they throw it in the bottom of their freaking pack. And they, they check the box. That's all they do. They don't take it out of the package and see what they're working with. Nine times out of ten, you take that thing out of the package, you're going to realize it's a piece of crap. You know, it may work uh, at summer camp, but in the mountains, in the weather, and you're in an environment where you actually need this thing, gear, knowing your gear is important. It's a step that you need to take. When you get a piece of gear, 
including your your medical gear, right? How many people walk around with a dang first aid kit and don't even know what the crap is in it, nor how to use it? First, how many people walk around with a first aid kit? (laughs) And then the ones that do, that know how to use it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 absolute insanity. Like, don't quit being a tightwad. If there's a piece of gear that you're purchasing because it's a mandatory piece of gear, it's mandatory for a reason. When you come out of the basic course, we give you an entire gear list of mandatory gear. It's mandatory for a dang reason, whether you think you need it or not. And quit being a tightwad, man. Quit buying junk. What? So when you read when you read a gear list and it said, I don't know what it read, but if it said an emergency blanket, what would you have bought? What would I have bought? Yeah, I mean, just so people. Well, I I have a I have an emergency bivy by SOL. I've actually used them multiple times. All right, and it's a. Instead of just getting the blanket, it's an actual sack that you crawl into and you can pull it up over your head, right? And so you get this thing. It's one step above what's required because it's a bivy and not a blanket. And then, But you also, it's important that you take it out of the package and figure out and see what it is and how to use it. All right, so that's what I have. But on top of that, I also carry a actual bivy sack made by Outdoor Research called a helium bivy. You can sleep in this thing. All right? It's it's not something that you would it's not the most comfortable thing in the world, but it's a great piece of gear. It's emergency. Yeah, I would consider it like high level emergency shelter. Like, I'm not going to take it out on the basic course yeah. as my primary means of shelter. Well, I just... But I it's mean, what I take when I run the Revenant. Yeah. I take the emergency bivy, and I also take the helium outdoor research bivy sack. So, in other words, I think, given that example, just shows what you're talking about. It reinforces your point. You you see a gear list that says have... I don't Like I said, I don't know what it said, but if it said a emergency blanket or something, you could... You can go check off that that requirement by getting the the cheapest thing you can find. Those little aluminum looking things that they hand you at the end of a road marathon or something. Yeah, exactly. you know, or you could buy something like that that might actually do you some good in a legitimate situation. So that's when I just think that's reinforcing your point. Mm-hmm. You know, other important pieces of gear that you don't need to be a cheapskate on is rain gear. All right, rain gear will save your life. But good rain gear is expensive. All right? Don't be a tightwad on your rain gear. Don't bring out your dang frog tog you bought at Walmart. It sucks. (laughs) Another good piece of gear, a micro puff jacket. All right? A puff jacket will save your life. You can buy a puff jacket that literally packs down to the size of a Coke can. Yep. It's going to cost you about four or 500 bucks, but I promise you it'll save your life. 
throw your dang Columbia puff jacket in the garbage and go get you a good puff jacket. All right? That's Rain all, pants. That's all front country. Colombian frog talks, all front country. <laughs> yeah. Gear. All right? Again, you are responsible for yourself. If you want to just check the box, go ahead. It might cost you your life. We as humans depend on gear. We have since the dawn of mankind. Mm -hmm. We have been wearing animal skins and things to keep us warm and to keep us dry. We as humans, our lives depend on gear. You have to spend the money on the gear, the right gear, and you have to know how to utilize that gear. The first time you take that stuff out shouldn't be when hypothermia is setting. Do y'all understand what, what happens when hypothermia sets in? It's like you're drunk. When you start to get hypothermia, the first thing that would happen to me is my hip flexors would start to lock up, and it's extremely painful. And what your body's doing is it's trying to hold all of the blood in your core in order to keep your organs warm. And it... So that hurts. Well, as it progresses, you start to lose all of your fine motor skills. So any, you know, f manipulating stuff with your fingers and hands, that goes away. And then eventually you lose your cognitive function. So you just start stumbling around like a drunk person. I've seen this in, in Buds, they, in third phase in Buds on the island. They had asked this guy that was in my class to punish him. They put him in a metal clawfoot bathtub full of ice water. And he got in there, and they forgot about him. And he just stayed in there. <laughs> he, I, I mean, I, I assume he thought that if he got out, they were going to, like, drop him from training because they would consider it quitting. ORM. Yeah. <laughs> the instructors forgot about him. When this joker got out of this freaking tub, when they finally remembered about him, he couldn't walk, he couldn't talk, he couldn't think, couldn't do anything. He was helpless. We had to lift him up out of it and rewarm him. All right? So hypothermia is the real deal. And, and you better be able to hunker down and stay warm before it starts to set in. We actually teach rewarming drills at the basic course. We teach you how to rewarm yourself. If you fall in a frozen river or you get too cold before you notice it, that's a mistake. All right? So we teach that. That's another skill you need to have. But I just had to throw that out there about gear, man. Yeah, it's important. Some some gear brands, if you guys mid-level, if you want mid-level gear, I think that's satisfactory. You guys can call out any brands that I miss. Mid-level gear that's satisfactory Companies like Outdoor Research, companies like Patagonia, companies like um, Mountain Hardware, all right? Now, all these companies I'm calling out, I, I don't know the values of the companies. Where they're, I'm sure a lot of them are freaking hippie, all this crap. I'm just telling you, they make good mid-level gear, all right? Any other companies y'all can think of? Mid-level. All the crap you can get at REI is mid-level gear, all right? Now, if you're really, if you really want to push the limits within the environment and have the smallest, most packable, most functional 
gear that you can possibly have, you have to have that stuff custom made. So like we have custom made jackets, puff jackets and rain gear from Timmer made. He hand makes this stuff. Um, it's, it's great gear. You've got companies like, uh, I think feathered friends. Yeah. Um, I'd say Western mountaineering is right there on that upper echelon of, of, of great gear that you can buy life-saving gear. Um, but yeah, Arteryx is a pretty decent brand, kind of in the yeah. on the upper end of the of the mid level gear spectrum. All right, and once you get into that higher level, like Chad said, really what you're paying for is it's lighter, it's more packable. It the outdoor research and all those other brands are probably going to perform. If you're if you're buying that, you're probably not going to notice the difference in performance. It's, it's really going to boil down to packability as far as as far as you know stuff for backpacking is is weight and yeah. I mean that little that little rain jacket I've got from TimmerMade that Dyneema rain jacket. Yeah, yeah. You're you're not gonna you're not gonna run in that because it's not breathable. Right. The Dyneema is a impermeable fabric, but it's super durable, and that daggone jacket packs down to the size of this snuff can yeah it's a rain impermeable rain jacket that will keep water and wind off of you and potentially save your life if you find yourself in a terrible situation yeah and but if you want it you're gonna pay two or three hundred bucks for it you know yeah and so that that's where it comes in you could go buy another rain jacket that would probably do just as well but it's gonna take up it's gonna pack up the size of that Bible right there That's right. versus that Coke can. Yep. Or Copenhagen can, not Coke. So know your <laughs> gear, buy the right gear. Um, What else do you guys think about this situation? I feel like I've done most of the talking on here. Again. <laughs> I, well, now I, that you're done talking about all that, silly stuff i'll tell y'all what you really need to know yeah let's just talk about our we'll, we'll put in our meaningless two cents here <laughs> no I'd, i mean i think you said it at the beginning i don't know all the details of it so this was just a good opportunity to cover some of those things you know i don't i mean if you can get into a situation where you did all that risk management or at least i think get all you know you do it the best of your ability but you get up there and something just absolutely wild happens. I mean, I've just heard of a story of this guy who was running somewhere. At first, I thought this might be what applied to this, but I don't think it was. I think they got hypothermia. And, but, I mean, he was running on somewhere and, like, this basically avalanche of rocks came and happened. And it took him out. I mean, sure, he maybe could have paid attention to, oh, what's up here and what's coming. But, my gosh, sometimes accidents happen. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, that stuff is real, um, you know. And I think no matter what happened to you, whether it was your fault or not, it, it's obviously tragic and everything. But we're just, I mean, I think the the purpose of this was to just talk, try to avoid situations like this for you listening. Yeah, and all you know? and all you by by implementing these things that we're talking about by getting training learning how to use ORM, by learning some situational awareness skills, by learning some hard skills in that wilderness environment, by having the right gear, 
all this stuff is doing is significantly reducing the chance of you perishing in the wilderness environment. But like Noah said, there are freak freak things that happen. And this may have been a, I, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there. Right. But I'm just saying you can significantly cut down on your, and this is a must, man. Yeah. This is a must. And, and, and I don't think that the, the trail running community is so flippant about like, oh, we're just going out here to run on a freaking trail in this super remote environment, but it's no big deal. There's an aid station every five miles. They don't think they have to have any understanding of the wilderness. They just think they have to be runners. It's dead wrong, man. Well, you, if you do things like that, you need to go ahead and get a bag, and you need to figure out what you need to have in it. And everywhere you go, everything you do, you got you need to have that bag with you. You might can pull some stuff. If you're trying to go super lightweight, you might can pull some things out. But you need to go ahead. I've got a bag in my backpacking bag that I, I even if I go on a trip, I just take it with me. It's got just the things, just the basic things that I might would need. And it's, and it's set. I don't have to add you don't have to do anything with it it's just set so figure out whatever type of things you'd like to do and what you might need in it and just put them in there you know what that's called a e bag we called it that in the military escape and evade that's it if if crap hits the fan you know you can grab that e bag and it's got enough in it for you to survive and make movement for a a day or two. Yeah. Right? That's that that's what that E and E bag is, man. We might actually do a YouTube video yeah. on our on our E and E bags at some point. That'll be so, good. Yeah. Well, you know, I was gonna talk about this listener question, but I think we're about out of time here. We've been going at it for an hour and a half. That'll be good so, for next time. Yeah, we'll cover this next time. This listener question is pretty good. And we may take a few more questions for the next podcast. But this one was, uh, how do you know what Jesus wants you to do when you have no clear direction or you feel lost? It's a great question. Yeah. So we'll cover that next week on the podcast. Um, so I, I, I can't leave you guys without any scripture, though. Will you read uh, your scripture that you've been studying, Blake, that you've been memorizing? Yeah, it's Joshua 1.8, and I'll just tell you off of memory. But I'm going to pull it up anyways to make sure I get, get it right. It's right there, isn't it? No, that's, oh, the that's new a one. new one. Okay. Y'all hadn't, uh, hadn't introduced you to that one yet. Leave you guys with a little scripture here. Yep, so this is in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And basically that's God talking to Joshua. He's commissioning Joshua to take over for Moses because he has just died, and he's given him everything on the other side of the Jordan River, I think is what it is. And he's telling him multiple times in there, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, and... 
In between that, he tells him three times, be very strong and courageous. And in between those times, he tells him this about the book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, which means it should always be in your mouth. Not saying don't say it. It's saying it should always be in your mouth and you shall meditate on it, which means to mutter back, which means to speak to yourself quietly as you're thinking. And that you may observe to do all, to do according to all that is written in it. And so... It's just a it's a challenge I presented Chad and Noah with. I, I want to start memorizing more scripture, not for the sake that I can memorize it and recite it, but so that I can use it for tools uh, to share with people in times when they might need to hear scripture, and I can just have it in my mind. It's so that I can be thinking on it. It gives me something to chew on. All week I've been working on memorizing this, and when I'm reciting it, I'm thinking of what each word says, even down to... It says, uh, you shall meditate in it, not on it, day and night. Every When you do this, you can look at every little part, even down to the punctuation marks if you want to. Every little part of the verse, and you can really analyze it, look at what's before it, what's after it. So if you guys want to do this, maybe we'll start sharing it on the, the podcast, what verse we're doing or something. But go find your own verse. Whatever applies to your life, you can use it. But that's what I got. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. Got anything else, Chili? That's it. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Again, we'll cover down on that question uh, coming up next week. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Enough said.